On this week's episode of Third and Manageable, we are going to be diving deep into the most complicated running back scenarios for the coming NFL season. And at the end of the show, you get my reaction to the Twitter polls that have been up all week long. So stay tuned. And welcome back to another episode of Third and Manageable. Today for you, we've got Buccaneers, Bills, Chiefs, Redskins, 49ers. Oh my, we'll be diving into those running back situations and we are ready to go. How are you feeling about this today, Brad? I'm feeling pretty good about it, Shem. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling like a champ. I'm feeling strong, but I'm not quite feeling like Champ Bailey. That is Hall of Famer Champ Bailey. Well, I mean, that's a pretty pretty tall bill to cover. You, you, you feeling like a champ is one thing. Feeling like a Hall of Fame champ is a completely different scenario. Maybe I'm just feeling like boss. Like boss Bailey? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but that means you're going to be out of the league in like three, four years. That's true, but at least your brother's pretty famous. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's just dive right into this. And... Let's go starting with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's go through their running backs. So they were a pretty interesting team because they were a team that probably should have drafted someone. Or picked somebody up in free agency. Should have picked someone up in free agency. Didn't. We're post-draft. Jay Ajayi is still out there. Probably should pick him up. Alfred Morris is still out there. Alfred Morris is still out there. Won't get him. Instead, they're rolling with a couple of guys from last year in Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones, who Ronald Jones looked terrible last year as a running back. Young guy still. Was he 21, 22? And so there's room to grow, and Bruce Arians has certainly been high on him. But Bruce Arians brings in Andre Ellington and Kerwin Williams, two former Arizona Cardinals. He's just trying to get the band back together. Yeah, that I, neither of those guys are really going to be contributors this year, in my opinion. Um, but they're kind of just depth pickups, maybe uh, a good voice to have in the running back room. Um, but this really is the backfield of Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones, who, as we just said, really didn't do that much last year. I mean, neither one of these guys has a reputation that warrants them being full-time starters. So... I think it was a, a strong mistake that they drafted so heavily on the defensive side this year. Maybe they're just playing the long game and expecting that, you know, they're not going to solve all the problems in one draft or one free agency acquisition. But if you're leaving this running back room to just Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones with a couple of uh, free agent castoffs that are basically journeymen at this point, uh, I would not expect that this team is even in the top 25 of of finishing and running stats this year. So uh, it's looking a little bleak for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Bruce Arians. Yeah, not looking great. Ronald Jones is 21. Interestingly enough, to be 21 now, you were born in 1997. I remember Michael Jordan winning against the Utah Jazz for the first time in 1997. That's... Yeah, I was sitting in a Time hotel room uh, when uh, Michael Jordan was beating Jeff Hornacek and Carl uh, uh, Malone and John Stockton. Let's not forget uh, Greg Ostertag, Austin oh, Carr, course, Howard yes. Isley. No, not... Uh, Adam Keefe. <laughs> uh, but, 
you probably, I mean, with how bad Ronald Jones was last year, this running back room is terrifying. Bruce Arians must think that he is the ultimate running back whisperer to think that he can get a thousand yard rusher out of Ronald Jones right now. Or have Peyton Barber be your third down guy and your check down running back. It's pretty interesting situation. I'm not sure why they didn't draft anyone, why they haven't picked someone up. But let me ask you this. Let's look at this from a fantasy football perspective. So in fantasy football, what you really want with running backs is usage. You want a guy who's going to get a lot of touches because that's going to give you a lot of opportunities to score, to get big chunks of yards. So where would you put Ronald Jones? Do you think he's a top 24 running back? No, absolutely not. Um, I think he has that potential. Um, I mean, last year he was just absolutely awful. I remember one uh, uh, game, it was early in the season, and Ronald Jones had eight carries for nine yards. And it really didn't get that much better the rest of the season. I mean, here's a guy who I don't think he had – he may have had one or two touchdowns. He may not have scored any at all. I didn't follow the Tampa Bay Buccaneers very much last year um, once they really became at a playoff contention. Uh, but the for Ronald Jones, he he I'll admit, he does have that kind of potential. If he can turn things around, if maybe he just had the wrong offensive scheme that he was trying to fit into, maybe he explodes this year. But I just don't see it happening. He just didn't seem to have a lot of burst. He was struggling in pass coverage. Um, uh, he, he really has never been a, a true uh, receiving threat. And neither has Jameis Winston been the kind of guy that likes to check down to running backs. So it, it's really a double negative in that regard. So you're not expecting him to help you out in PPR leagues. Um, and es- especially this offensive line, I, I cannot give it Peyton Barber or Ronald Jones any kind of a grade that's above top 25 because you just don't know how it's going to work. Now, I will admit Bruce Arians is exceptional at helping running backs find their legs. Um, he's excellent with quarterbacks, excellent with running backs, not so good with wide receivers. He never found that number two receiver behind Larry Fitzgerald, but uh, for usage, I think this is Ronald Jones's backfield to lose because we've already seen Peyton Barber and what he's capable of, and that ceiling is not very high. So in terms of whether it's going to be Peyton Barber or Ronald Jones, my money's on Ronald Jones. But at the same time, I am not interested in this guy at all. I need to see something from him before I take a risk on him if, if, if I'm the fantasy owner of a team, which I am. <laughs> yeah. And so I was pretty high on Ronald Jones last year in, let's say, a dynasty league where he was a running back drafted high in the second round to a team that needed a running back. And all the talk during preseason was, oh, man, Ronald Jones might not make the team. Like, that's how bad he was doing yes. at the beginning of the year. And so, hey, maybe he does bounce back. Maybe you're out there in a dynasty league and you get him for nothing. But Well, and it was just the year before they drafted Ronald Jones, they drafted Jeremy McNichols yeah. uh, equally as high as Ronald Jones. If I'm not mistaken, Ronald Jones was a third-round pick, and McNichols, I think, was a third- or fourth-round pick. So you're still in that same bracket 
of of a, a, a in in that uh, area. So I, I I don't know. I just don't see Ronald Jones working out. And if you want to get historical here, name me a lot of USC running backs that actually have worked out. Reggie Bush. Did he though? I mean, he was drafted <laughs> number three overall. I mean, yeah. for example, is number three overall? Well, he was drafted number two overall, and it uh, the GM of the Houston Texans got fired for not taking Reggie Bush number one overall because that's how good Reggie Bush was coming out of college. He was seen as this generational running back. He was the greatest college football player that I've ever seen. But yeah, well, you're right, especially in comparison to that type of lofty expectations. He, yes, I mean. We were expecting a lot out of Reggie Bush, just like we were expecting a lot out of Darren McFadden, and just like we were expecting a lot out of Trent Richardson. And so Ronald Jones was picked in round two uh, with the sixth overall pick in round two, and Jeremy McNichols was drafted in round five. Oh, fifth round pick. Yeah. Okay, well, I was a little bit off on that one. Out of the uh, Just trying State. to mislead people on purpose. Uh, so... But Jeremy McNichols is no longer with the team, is what my, my point was. He had a quick stint in San Francisco, and if I'm not mistaken, he is picked up by no one. Maybe he's on a practice squad somewhere. So uh, basically the point is, Tampa Bay has not been good at picking up running backs since work done. No love for uh, Cadillac Williams? <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> the guy was all over the place. He spent a couple of years in Tampa Bay. Gets his knee blown out, and then spent the rest of the, his career like bouncing around. Yeah, I don't consider that a success. Are they hoping that Jameis Winston is going to be running it more? Well, you know, maybe the fact that they're not addressing the running game is so that they can get a clear bet on what Jameis Winston is capable of. I mean, this is his last year in Tampa Bay, unless he really shows what he's capable of. This is a brand new coach in Bruce Arians. He is not afraid to draft somebody or acquire somebody in free agency. So not having a running game means all the more opportunities that he's going to be able to pass the ball. Now, they're not doing Jameis Winston any favors by getting rid of Deshaun Jackson and Adam Humphreys. So if I were to try to predict this team, it seems like they're just taking it one step at a time. They're trying to fix the defense now. And they'll get to the offense eventually, but it's not happening now. All right, so let's talk about the Buffalo Bills running back situation. So the Bills last or kept around LaShawn McCoy, who last year had injury problems, and even when he wasn't injured, he wasn't very efficient. The year before that, he had a pretty good year. And so they keep Marcus Murphy, who had a couple of good games last year, he did. And they bring in a guy who's three years removed from his last good season in Frank Gore. And then they bring in, I believe, a former second round pick in TJ Yeldon. Yep. They brought him in through a trade. They got Frank Gore through free agency. Yep. And the former second rounder. And then they drafted Devin Singletary, if I'm not mistaken, yep. in the fourth round. Uh, I thought it was round three. Four it might have been round three, but it was round three or four. Um, but so basically they hang on to LaShawn McCoy. Then they bring in a free agent with Frank Gore. They trade for TJ Yeldon and then draft Devin Singletary. 
while at the same time keeping around Marcus Murphy, who they could have put on uh, one of those tenders to maybe somebody else picks him up, matches an offer, and and uh, then you at least get some sort of compensation for this guy who is now looking like he's the fifth man of this depth chart. So, what is going on in Buffalo? I mean, it, is it McCoy? Is it Murphy? Is it Gore? Is it Yeldon? Is it Singletary? It, it, you can't have five running backs on the field at the same time. What what in the hell are they thinking right now? Yeah. So I think that you should not take odds that LaShawn McCoy is going to be on the team come the start of the year. I think that LaShawn McCoy looks pretty strongly like the odd man out. He's older back who was predicated on elusiveness, Shady McCoy, and they bring in Frank Gore, a guy who's more of a power rusher, but a guy who's a complimentary guy and someone that at this point in his career you use on short yardage and red zone opportunities. But Devin Singletary is the guy that can get you from 20-yard line to 20-yard line. So why spend money on LaShawn McCoy when you probably have the same ability to generate production from a backfield of Devin Singletary, Frank Gore, and Marcus Murphy. Well, now you're leaving out TJ Yeldon, though. That's so who, fair enough, <laughs> which I have no idea. I mean, this goes back to we have no idea what they were doing. I don't know why TJ Yeldon's up there. I and don't know. if you also want to get technical, LaShawn McCoy is younger than Frank Gore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I get it that Frank LaShawn cheaper, McCoy though. is... His game is predicated upon elusiveness. I mean, you already said that. He's he's very much a speed back, but he's in his older years, so he really can't outrun anybody anymore. He's not going to juke everybody on the field anymore. But you've already passed the years of when he was his most uh, tradable. Like, you were going to get your most out of him two years ago, or even last year when your team wasn't doing that good under Josh Allen. So you're trading him, if you do, at the worst time. You pick up Frank Gore, who's, if I'm not mistaken, two or even three years older than LaShawn McCoy, even though Frank Gore just seems to be timeless. I mean, the guy has still never had a major injury in his life. But you trade for TJ Yeldon. Like, you just said all of those names, but you still leave out the guy that they traded for. They gave up assets for this player. Uh... I don't know what they're going for here. Uh, It's clearly going to be a running back by committee, but it just seems like they don't have faith in McCoy. They don't have faith in Gore. They don't have faith in Yeldon, nor Singletary or Murphy. But they're going to have... And we're leaving out their best rusher from last year. Well, now... Their quarterback, Josh Josh (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Of course. Uh, Well... Wow, I, Frank Gore just really seems like a leadership piece here to me. Um, Devin Singletary, if I were to put my money on anybody, he's the running back of the future. Uh, Yeldon kind of seems like a flyer. Like In retrospect, they didn't give a lot up for him, but he did show flashes in Jacksonville when Leonard Fournette was either injured or suspended. Um, uh, but still... I think you're right that LaShawn McCoy is the odd man out, but still, I, I 
unless they're going to try to go for some sort of earth, wind, and fire like the New York Giants did years ago, um, this is a very crowded backfield, and somebody's got to go. And maybe Marcus Murphy is the guy to go as well because maybe you could get something back for him. Young guy, small contract. Uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, he really he was good last year, but he didn't do anything you know, greatly. So I, I, I think that most teams would just expect that, hey, if we don't put in an offer, eventually Buffalo's going to cut this guy and then we'll get him for nothing. So um, that seems much more likely in my eyes. But, I mean, maybe somebody gives up like a sixth or seventh yeah, round pick That's where it would have to be. But remember, Josh Allen ran so much last year. People want to talk about Lamar Jackson being the running quarterback. It was Josh Allen as well. And one of the big reasons for that was they didn't have anyone for him to throw to. So they spend money. They bring in Cole Beasley. They bring in John Brown. They bring in Tyler Croft, which Tyler Croft might be an interesting tight end for them and for the team. But those also aren't, and you still have Zay Jones and Andre. No, I don't think they have Andre Roberts anymore. No, he he uh, was a Bronco, right? No, he he went to uh, I think the New York Jets yeah, well, or Cardinals. A team, anyway. A team. There was a team that picked him up. I remember it was a two-year deal. Yeah, and so they didn't really bring in the type of guys that is going to make Josh Allen a thrower. So he'll still be running, and you have all these running backs to try and figure out. So. I have no clue what Buffalo's doing anymore. Sean McDermott made the playoffs uh, one time a couple years ago. Good season by Coy. Okay season by Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor. And so, yeah. No, it's it's looking uh, pretty interesting in Buffalo. Uh, Their defense is in a state of flux. They're rotating people out. Um, they lost a couple of guys in the offensive line between last year and this year. Um, two of their five starters are gone. Not only that, but they're clearly changing out the skill positions. Um, I, I don't actually know what's going on here. They still don't have a true number one receiver. Zay Jones has not elevated his game since he entered the league. John Brown has been a journeyman at best, a kind of a deep threat kind of guy, but... He's, he's never proven himself to be someone that is worthy of a contract that, I mean, he's, he's not going to reward Buffalo with 1,000 yards this year. I'll just tell you that right now. He's not going to get you 10 touchdowns or 8 touchdowns or even 6 touchdowns this year. That's never been his game. He's always been a complimentary piece to another really good receiver on the team. Not only that, but they got rid of Charles Clay this year, who was their best tight end. So... Buffalo is still in a rebuilding phase, but it it seems like we don't even know what pieces that they're rebuilding with at this point because they're bringing in veteran guys, they're bringing in guys in their prime, and they're also drafting people. So they are all over the board. All right, so let's talk about the next team. The Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City. Okay. All right. So they had Kareem Hunt last year. He had his problems that got him cut, his off-the-field issues. And then they had Damon Williams play, who he looked 
capable, I guess. Yeah, he, he yeah. actually looked pretty good for – I mean, I wasn't expecting that much out of him, and then he – I mean, he was formidable. He <laughs> – I lost a Dynasty Fantasy Championship, partly because of Damon Williams uh, beating me. But, well, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> but they also then bring in Carlos Hyde. Yes. They still have Daryl Williams. They draft Darwin Thompson. And they bring in a couple of other undrafted free agents. So One of which is... James Williams mm-hmm. from Washington State University, yeah. local guy. So someone that may be fitting into that air raid style offense that Patrick Mahomes has been working with. Uh, I've heard a lot of really good things about that guy. Even though he's an undrafted free agent, they are they are expecting a lot of good things from him. So maybe he turns into a Philip Lindsay type from last year, undrafted guy. Or maybe he goes the way of all undrafted free agents not all but you know predominantly speaking most of them and turns into nothing but uh damon williams try to evaluate his game for me do you see him as a possible three down back Uh, i mean it or is this somebody that just filled in when he was really needed and you know He'll be a complimentary guy. Explain to me, what is this guy? Is he complimentary or could he be a workhorse to me, Shem? I think of him as a complimentary guy. They think of him as an every down guy. I could see Carlos Hyde getting a little bit more run than he got last year for sure. And I think they're really hoping that Darwin Thompson becomes something. They spent that sixth-round pick, which isn't really a lot of draft capital, but a guy coming out of Utah State. I know that I saw uh, someone called him short Barry Sanders, so I'm sure Kansas City would hope that that's what he becomes. But I think they're banking on Damian Williams and... I hope that it doesn't work out because it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, I've also been hearing, and I'm bringing this up because we just discussed them, but I've heard some trade rumors floating around that possibly LaShawn McCoy could reunite with Andy Reid in Kansas City to be their workhorse back. Now, he's only got a couple of years left uh, of you know true effectiveness as a running back, at his age, so maybe they bring him in as kind of a veteran compliment. Um, but uh, we're kind of leaving somebody out here. You said his name, Carlos Hyde. Uh, he was signed to a one-year deal. I mean, if he turns into nothing, they didn't lose very much money at all. I mean, I think it was a $2.5 million deal, maybe a $2.8 million deal. So not a lot of money there, but... Is this a player that could play uh, a significant role with them? I mean, you already said that you don't see Damon Williams as an every-down guy. Maybe they split time between Williams and Hyde. Could you see that? Or is Hyde just kind of like an insurance policy that, you know, in case Williams goes the way of Spencer Ware and gets his knee blown out in preseason, you have a guy already available that's been learning the system. Uh, What do you see Carlos Hyde as? I think they brought Carlos Hyde in as that insurance policy. And I think once we get to week one, Williams will get 60% of the touches and Hyde will get 40%. 
So where, still a pretty significant role to get 40% yeah, I of think the touches. that Carlos Hyde is going to play a greater role than a lot of people are giving him credit for right now. But you mentioned a guy, um, the local guy, James Williams, out of Washington State University. He's a guy who I thought was going to get drafted and didn't. And he could be that Philip Lindsay story where there's a contested backfield, comes in as an undrafted guy, wins the job. Uh, his nickname at Washington State was Booby Miles. So that's his inspiration. Well, uh, I do know that his agent is Eric Dickerson. Now, I don't know how many clients Eric Dickerson has, but if you're going to have uh, 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 an agent covering your career, you probably want a guy that's rushed for 2,000 yards in a season. So James Williams making the right decision in that regard. Um, but he did come out a year early. I was hearing on ESPN that that's one of the reasons why teams were staying away from him. They really wanted him to stay at Washington State for his final year. But he was facing some financial concerns, and he felt that this was the time to enter the league. He thought he was going to get drafted higher, and it just didn't spin that way like it does for a lot of players. But James Williams, very talented player, had an excellent year last year with Gardner Minshew in that Washington State Mike Leach offense. Um, I think he is capable of stepping into an interesting role, maybe as a... Uh, a third down back type. I mean, the Kansas City for a number of years has been so excellent at uh, creating maybe not a perfect workhorse back, but they've had those third down backs for years. I mean, DeAnthony Thomas has been so excellent. Niles Davis has been excellent for years, but they've never been the the workhorse guys they've been those third down backs that come in pass protect really well and then when it's a third and 12 they're the last guy you're expecting to cover and they're the ones that end up catching the ball and running it for a first down so uh james williams could very very easily slip into one of those roles be a punt returner kick returner third down back type maybe even work himself into a bigger role but uh, this is one of those running back committees that I, I'm i really staying away from in the sense of trying to predict who that guy is going to be. Uh, because, I mean, it was just two years ago that everybody was expecting Spencer Ware to be the guy with Kareem Hunt being slowly brought in. Oh, and you then, told me. Oh, he, <laughs> you were the guy. You, you drafted <laughs> Spencer Ware expecting yeah. that he was going to be the man. And then he's very quickly broken, and Kareem Hunt exploded for almost a rookie of the year season. So uh, it's it, it's Andy Reid, very good running back coach, very good running back coach, and yeah. but he's also an unpredictable running back yeah. coach. Like a lot of us didn't see Lashawn McCoy happening either. Yeah, he's the guy that just came out of nowhere and really exploded for the Philadelphia Eagles when he was there. So. Uh, I'm not sure who the guy is going to be, but in honesty, I'm expecting that Kansas City works it out. Whoever the running back is, I'm expecting them to be effective because it's an Andy Reid offense. He's notorious for that. So, And yeah. I like what you said about look for them to be a team to trade with someone and bring someone in. Yeah, I, I, I think LaShawn McCoy would be an interesting pickup. But maybe he's so far on the outside of his career that they don't make that move. 
Uh, but I, I really would expect that they make some sort of move. However, they are going to be hurting for some draft capital because they gave up quite a bit to get Frank Clark. Yeah. Not a lot. I mean, they gave up a, what, a, a first and a second round pick, basically? Yeah. So... Um, they're they're going to be watching their their chips a little bit on the table. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the Washington sometimes professional football team. <laughs> well, the Washington sometimes professional football team. Uh, their running back committee. It, it seems like it's going to be Adrian Peterson, <laughs> but at the same time, I I don't know. I mean, this is a team that still has. Uh, go, go through their their, their depth chart here. Yeah. I mean, it's so they retained AP. They two year deal, five million dollars. Still have Darius Geis coming back from his ACL injury. Yep, they uh, still have Samaje P Ryan. They still have Samaje P Ryan. Speaking of people you liked in fantasy football, uh, hey, <laughs> he was good for like two games, <laughs> and then he was terrible the rest of the way. They still have Chris Thompson for third down situations, yep. and then they had one of the more interesting running back selections in Bryce Love. Yes. Uh, I was very happy that they picked him up. I mean, I wasn't happy that he went there, but Washington made an excellent pickup. I mean, they spent a fifth-round pick on a guy who, entering this season, was expected to be the Heisman Trophy winner. That's incredible. I get it. He had a major injury, and there's a lot of concerns about how his knee is healing, but when you're getting a Heisman Trophy talent with a fifth-round pick, I will take those odds out every single day give me all of the heisman trophy potential winners with fifth sixth seventh round picks and you're gonna have a good football team i think that washington had one of the best drafts just when you can say that you got dwayne haskins montez sweat and bryce love that alone is like, oh, yeah, yeah, you did really well in, in your drafting of guys. Absolutely, and they didn't have to trade up to get their quarterback, which yeah. we've seen so frequently with Deshaun Watson, with Patrick Mahomes, with Josh Rosen. Even I mean, Drew Locke. Drew Locke. They sat right where they were, were not afraid to, to watch that train bear right down on them, and they finally got their guy at the 15th pick of the first round. Not only that... But as you just said, they traded up in the first round to get Montez Sweat, who was falling down the draft boards as we predicted. So, Washington Redskins, are they encroaching on the possibility? And, and let me paint this picture here for you. All right. Last year, they were sitting at 6-2, and two, at the top of the division, and then Alex Smith goes down with an injury. This is a defense that has Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, now Landon Collins. They also have uh, uh, who who who's their 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 main cornerback? Uh, it's it's Josh Norman. Josh Norman. He's the guy from Carolina. Yes, Josh Norman. They got Mason Foster. They have Ryan Kerrigan, Ryan Anderson, Jonathan Allen from a couple years ago. Jonathan Allen. Yes, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. Like I said. Mm-hmm. Uh, this team, they went 6-2 and two to start the season last year. They've added some pieces, and with whether it's Dwayne Haskins or Case Keenum, are people kind of 
I mean, we've been calling them the semi-professional football team here. Could this be a team that kind of beats our expectations? I mean, I know we're trying to talk about running back scenarios here, but just very quickly explain to me, are we overlooking the Washington Redskins here? They were looking good last year, and then everything fell apart. They lost Alex Smith. They lost Colt McCoy. Uh, Explain to me, what is going on with these Redskins here? And so I don't think we're looking them over or looking over them. Yeah. Over them, under them, through them, whatever. (laughs) I think everyone is overlooking them right now. They were a team that surprised people last year. They have talent up and down the roster, but they don't really have that big, sexy wide receiver. They don't really have that big energizing quarterback, at least last year, in Alex Smith. And they didn't... I mean, for running backs, it looked like they were going to have Darius Geis, and then they had to bring in Adrian Peterson, who came back, played great. And like you said, they were 7-2. and two. They were at the top of the division, looking great. And I could really see that for them this year. I'm a big believer in Dwayne Haskins, as I said on this show many, 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 many times. And they still have pretty talented running back group. They don't have very good wide receivers, though. And they have an offensive line that got hurt a lot last year. So on the offensive side of the football, they have to really hope that that offensive line stays healthy. They're going to ride these running backs out, let Dwayne Haskins build, try to keep his turnovers low, and he's a pretty efficient and accurate quarterback to begin with. Well, over the last two years, the Redskins have made some moves on the wide receiver board. Um, uh, Before last season started, they acquired Paul Richardson through trade, or not trade, uh, free agent acquisition, excuse me. Uh, before this season has started, they have made this year the last year for Josh Dotson. They have declined his fifth-year option, which means he is in a contract year. He has to prove it, or he is going to be going the way of uh, Brashard Perryman. Now, the third thing that they've done is they drafted Terry McLaren. Uh, if I'm, It's escaped me which round they drafted him in. I they think got him in the third. Third round. Okay, I was, I was about to say second round, but uh, thank you for correcting me here. So they've made a little bit of moves here, but they still don't have that number one guy like you're saying. I mean, Deshaun Jackson is absolutely gone. He, he was gone a while ago. Pierre Garçon is no more. He never really stepped into that role as a true number one receiver. So they've been reeling for a while. I mean, the last number one receiver that they had was Santana Moss. And that was like, you know, Mark Brunel was playing quarterback when Santana Moss was there. So it's been a while for for Washington fans to have a true number one receiver that they can count on. Uh, maybe Josh Dotson finally steps up. I tried to add him on my fantasy team, and I he just kept sitting on the bench because, you know, he would have a game where it's like he would catch three, four balls for, you know, two touchdowns, and then he would go six, seven games without doing anything. So uh, it, it's, it's tough to predict what they're going to be able to do. It doesn't seem like they're heavy on passing this year. This could be a team where they're playing tough defense— and running the ball, much like 
the Baltimore Ravens did last year with Lamar Jackson. I think Washington could be a dark horse, much like Baltimore last year, in just simply playing tough uh, Washington defense and running the ball with whether it's AP, Darius Geis, Bryce Love, maybe Chris Thompson's catching some balls out of the backfield. Uh, I'm not saying to, to watch out for Washington, but I wouldn't expect them to have a top 10 pick either. You know, they're kind of seemed like in that middle of the road with potentially a high ceiling. Yeah, and I think Dwayne Haskins is going to beat out Case Keenum and Colt McCoy. And well, I think he's already beaten Colt McCoy. Much respect, Colt McCoy. I love you in Texas. You're, you've been my guy for a number of years. But yeah, uh, Dwayne Haskins is truly the quarterback of the future. You know what? I would put money on it right now that he is the week one starter. Yeah, he's not the quarterback of the future. He's the quarterback of the present. Yeah, the now, the yeah. now. And so you bring up those wide receivers, but I don't see them as the best uh, the best pass catchers on this Washington team. Obviously, the number one guy is Jordan Reed. Yes. Playing tight end. Number two, it's Chris Thompson, their third down running back. He was a guy who caught a ton of balls over the last couple of years out of the backfield. The problem is he struggles with staying on the field. Now, that is where I think Bryce Love can come in here, okay? This is a running back scenario where, where I think this could happen. Darius Geis is the eventual replacement to Adrian Peterson. Bryce Love is the eventual replacement to Chris Thompson. That's how I see this going. I think Peterson and Thompson within one to two years are no longer with the team, and Geis and Love are potentially taking over. Uh, I mean, we've already seen how Stanford running backs have worked out in the NFL. Ergo, Christian McCaffrey in Carolina. If Bryce Love is able to make himself healthy, stay on the field, and turn into even a fifth of what McCaffrey has done in Carolina up in Washington, that's going to be a recipe for success for a number of years. If Geis is that mean green, just run down your throat kind of goal line, you know, fourth and one back, where Bryce Love is that, you know, third down pass protection ace, uh, this could be an interesting running back committee. And so Stanford running backs, you brought up Christian McCaffrey. So, two years ago, in our Dynasty Rookie Draft, I traded up for the number one overall pick. With me. With you. And everyone <laughs> thought that I was going to take Leonard Fournette. Instead, I took Christian McCaffrey. And everyone laughed, but no one's laughing now. And is this just your way of patting yourself on the back? This you going is. With I'm this? going... Uh, into Bryce Love with it, but first we're going to take a little detour and talk about how much of a better fantasy football player I am than you. Okay. But, <laughs> and so... We're going to have a lot to discuss as soon as this podcast is over. And you're, so you're killing me here. those Stanford uh, running backs, Bryce Love is going to be a guy who could catch the ball out of backfield, is going to be... A big part of this offense once he gets fully healed up. And in a dynasty league, 
becomes a very interesting draft and stash guy. Potentially. However, I'm going to put one more thing out to you. There's one uh, consideration we haven't put into this mix here. Jay Gruden. Mm. Here's a guy who has been on the hot seat bubble of potentially getting fired by Dan Snyder for, I mean, a couple of years now. Uh, I think he saved his job last year by them starting off so well and then having so many quarterback injuries. But from an owner's standpoint, when you see a team starting off 6-2 and two, and then you have both of your uh, top two quarterbacks go down with injury, that's not an excuse to keep your coach around. That's more of a negativity on the coach that why couldn't you protect these franchise quarterbacks? So uh, could this be a scenario where you want to avoid Darius Geis and Bryce Love because Jay Gruden could find himself being fired midseason or at the end of the season? I mean, if this team finishes 7-9, and nine, does Jay Gruden f- keep his job? If this team finishes anything below 7-9, and nine, I would say he's guaranteed to get fired. But I don't know if this team has 7 to 8, 9, 10 wins in them. I mean, I'm projecting to be middle of the road, but that may not save this coach's job, which means a new guy comes in, he wants a new scheme, he wants new players, he wants to change everything about the old regime. So if you're looking at this from a fantasy perspective... I would try to avoid these players because you don't know if they're going to be effective for you in the future. Go ahead. I'll let you avoid Bryce Love. Please don't draft Bryce Love. Let him fall to me in the second round of our dynasty draft and watch how quick I pick him up. Oh, that's adorable. He's not (laughs) going to be available in the second round for you. (laughs) Stop that. And so Gruden, I could easily see him not being the coach next year. A team struggles. Dwayne Haskins could struggle. It could be a Jared Goff, Mitch Trubisky situation. Potentially. Where year one is rough, and they have to bring in an offensive-minded head coach who's that in that young, new offensive system mold, where it's not the Gruden's old school, which used to be new school offensive scheme. And so there's a chance where Gruden goes away, but that the guy who replaces him is a little bit more offense friendly. So it's rolling the dice. Either way, I'll take Bryce Love. Well, I mean, you wouldn't be spending that much on him with a second or third round pick of a draft, but I'm just saying uh, it's, it's something to watch out for in the future. Now, Uh, It seems like we've kind of wrapped up with Washington here. That leaves one more team on our board, which is the San Francisco 49ers. Now, I'll very quickly go through their depth chart for you. They have Jarek McKinnon, who they signed from free agency last year. It was a four-year deal, if I'm not mistaken, around uh, $20 to uh, $25 million. Then... This year, they've gone with another free agent acquisition in Tevin Coleman, who they got with a two-year deal. They still have Matt Breida and Raheem Mostert on their team, which I can't say his name correctly, so we may just call him Mustard at this point. <laughs> uh, but So those are the top four guys on, on this team. Uh, 
again, this seems crowded. This seems complicated. I don't know who is really going to be the guy. I mean, Tevin Coleman had his opportunity to prove that he could be a number one guy last year. And when Devontae Freeman was injured, he just didn't really step up entirely. He's He seems like, a, you know, a, a career-long complimentary piece. Much in the same way like uh, uh, Shane Vereen. You know, like you don't want Shane Vereen being the best running back on your team, but he had a, a number of good years with New York, with New England. Um, I think that's where I see Tevin Coleman here. But if you were a betting man, who are you putting your money on? I mean, Jarek McKinnon, who had one good year in Minnesota and then got injured quickly in San Francisco, or Matt Breida, who's shown nothing except for one good year well, a half of a good year last year. Like, he was really up and down last season. So I don't know who this guy is going to be, but those are your four options. What what can we take away from th- from this backfield? If I was a betting man, which I am a betting man, I would say Tevin Coleman is going to be that starting first down, second down guy for the team. Interesting. And okay. Jarek McKinnon is going to be your third down passing situation, two-minute drill guy. Matt Breida will be the third guy on the roster or on the depth chart, to, and he's fully capable of replacing either Coleman or McKinnon depending on injuries, what's happening with game flow, etc. But... In all the people in that backfield you named, I think that you missed one of the most valuable pieces of it. Did I? And that's Kyle Huszczyk. Ah, the the fullback. The best fullback in the NFL. Whoa. Don't just be taking a dump on Andy Janovich here. Oh, man. Andy Janovich, Pro Bowl 2019. come on. But Kyle's Huszczyk is the best fullback in the NFL. He's a guy who Kyle Shanahan views as an offensive weapon. A guy who I believe last year he said that he wanted him to have 10 to 12 touches throughout the game. And Hughescheck wears number 44. I would also bet that Kyle Kyle Hughescheck in a PPR fantasy league finishes in the top 44 of running backs as a fullback. Most fullbacks have no business catching the ball, running the ball, but they use use check. So I think that's important to keep in mind, but I do believe Tevin Coleman, first down, second down, Jarek McKinnon, third down, two-minute drill guy. Matt Breida, backing him up. Well, let me just put this to bed right now. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, yes, he did say he would like to use Kyle Juszczyk 10 to 12 Uh, touches a game however was there any game last year where Kyle Juszczyk got 10 to 12 touches well now you're gonna have to talk while I look it up no absolutely not that's a total myth total lie absolute nonsense I'm just gonna throw that out there right now and I'm not even looking at the stats Kyle Juszczyk 
did not get 10 to 12 touches in any game last year, as Shem is looking it up to prove that I am right. Um, So, I would disagree. I think it's a little bit opposite of what you said. I think Jarek McKinnon is that first to second down guy, where Tevin Coleman slips in as that complementary piece, much like he's been with Devontae Freeman the past few years. Now, maybe I'm wrong here, and maybe I'm seeing something wrong, but I think Jet, meaning Jarek McKinnon, uh, is that starting guy. Maybe it's Matt Breida, but I think Tevin Coleman is the complementary piece, as opposed to uh, uh, Jarek McKinnon being the complementary piece, or Matt Breida being the complementary piece. I think maybe even Breida has shown enough from last year that he could be that first to second a down guy for for a offense moving down the field. I'm I'm not entirely sure how to predict this, but I'm just saying Tevin Coleman last year had his opportunity. Devontae Freeman missed, if I'm not mistaken, nine games last year, nine full games, and he was injured early in two of them and couldn't return. So it was really eleven games that Tevin Coleman had his opportunity to be the main guy and I mean how many hundred yard games did he have last year how many multi-touchdown games did Tevin Coleman have last year really nothing he didn't he didn't set the world on fire he didn't explode and and become this this household name he was a guy that's been complimentary and he stayed complimentary Atlanta did not become an elevated offense because they switched from Devontae Freeman to Tevin Coleman. And I don't think San Francisco becomes a better offense because they've switched from whoever was running the ball last year, whether it was Mostert or or Ward or or uh, Breida, to Tevin Coleman. I, I, I don't see that happening yet. I will give you this, though. Tevin Coleman was very good when Kyle Shanahan was with that one year as the offensive coordinator in Atlanta. So maybe, maybe he he elevates his game. But again, I just don't see it happening. I think if he was capable of it, he would have shown us already. He's been in the league for an, enough years to, to basically get a beat on this guy of, I think we've already seen Tevin Coleman's ceiling is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. All right. So... I guess we got to write this down. I'm saying that Tevin Coleman will have the more fantasy points, I guess. That's how we'll measure this. Well, how about we go through each of the teams? You're right. saying Tevin Coleman is the best mm-hmm. for San Francisco. Yeah. I think it's either Breida or McKinnon. Uh, so you're taking both of them. Well, I'm gonna... Can I at least combine Kyle Hughes-Check's points with sure, Tevin Coleman? Sure, sure. Right. Go for it. So right. I'm taking Tevin Coleman and Kyle Hughes-Check. Okay, let's go Kansas City. Who is, who's going to be the most fantasy points, the most NFL stats this year for Kansas City? Is it Williams? Is it Hyde? Can I take uh, all of the Williams? Is that that something? doesn't count. No. I like what you just said. Williams. Yeah, I'll take Williams. <laughs> There's like three different them. Williams yep, on yep, the Kansas are, City team. That's what I got. I got Stop. Williams. Get out of here. Uh, you, you, no. Uh, I'd probably still say Damian Williams for Kansas City. I, I would say the same. I think he showed enough last year to at least get the opportunity to lead the backfield this year. All right. What about Washington? That's a pretty interesting one. Uh, I think this is still Adrian Peterson's backfield. I don't see Geis coming in until 
you know, later in the year. And even at that, I think that I don't think we really see the the fruits of what Geis is capable of until year three. Mm. Maybe that's too long, but I think Peterson is still the guy this year. Can I take Geis and Thompson? Nope. If I'm taking one guy, you take one guy. <laughs> if I take multiple guys, you can take multiple guys. Oh, so it's just based on what you do. Yes. That's what, okay, that Obviously. makes sense. Oh, if I can only pick one guy, can we say PPR scoring? Sure. Uh, all right. That didn't help you either. No. <laughs> uh, I'll make on. it fun. I'll go Chris Thompson. Chris Thompson? What? Ah! We're giving it PPR league. So PPR, sure, but he's never going to get a goal line touch Man, in his life. I need those that Chris Thompson from two years ago to make me look like a genius right now. Okay, you carry on with that. All right, that leaves us Buffalo and then Tampa Bay. So Buffalo first. Who is the guy you're expecting for the most NFL stats? I mean, is it going to be McCoy? Is he off the team? Is it going to be Frank Gore? Does he have a swan song season left in him? Uh, I mean, are you expecting TJ Yeldon to step into a role, or is this all about Devin Singletary? Uh, I'm going to say LaShawn McCoy, because once again, I own him in our Dynasty League, so LaShawn McCoy. Okay, so that's a little bit biased there, but we won't talk about that at all. Um, You know what? (sighs) Crap. Um... (laughs) You know what? You're going for a veteran guy. I'm going to say Frank Gore is the man. One more season, Frank Gore. Let's leave him Devin Singletary out there. Oh, just forget the rookies. Get out of here. The only rookie I'm believing in here is David Montgomery. Okay, so Tampa Bay. Is it Peyton Barber? Is it Ronald Jones? Or is it uh, somebody we're not even talking about? Andre Ellington, Kerwin (laughs) Williams. Oh, yeah, talk me into Andre Ellington or Kerwin Williams again last year. Oh, but uh, Forget it. I'm going to go Ronald Jones, I guess. I'm going to go with Ronald Jones as well. I think that this is his backfield to lose. Like I said before, Peyton Barber has shown you what he's capable of, and that ceiling isn't very high. We don't know what Ronald Jones' ceiling is, so give him the ball and let's find out. Oh, I made a mistake with Buffalo. I should have gone with Josh Allen. Get out of here. He's a quarterback. All right. Right, he is. At least he should act like it. All right. Well, that does it for the most complicated running back scenarios. We've covered Kansas City, San Francisco, Tampa Bay, Buffalo, and the Washington semi-professional Redskins. That leaves us with the end of the show. Oh, this is going to be a good time. Okay. All now, right. let's let's put a little asterisk on here. I have not seen what these uh, Twitter polls have gone to, okay? I don't own a Twitter account. I don't know really how this all works. Shem has put out questions. I don't know what the questions are. I don't know what the reactions are from what people have been voting on. But he is interested to get my reaction so if you have small children nearby (laughs) plug their ears because if this is something crazy i might slip out a gosh darn it in in the near future (laughs) all right so i put a series of questions out there in the twitterverse they were fairly well voted on so here they are the first one i put out there over the next three years, 
which rookie running back will be the better dynasty fantasy player in PPR format? These were the options. Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery, Miles Saunders, or the rest of the running back field. Which one would you choose? Me personally? Yeah. Oh, um, you know, I would go with Josh Jacobs. He was drafted the highest. Um, he seems to have the most clear path to become a workhorse back. Isaiah Crowell is gone. Jalen Richard and uh, DeAndre Washington have not shown what they're capable of. And even though I'm high on David Montgomery in Chicago, he was drafted to basically fill the void of Jordan Howard. And the truth is, they got rid of Jordan Howard because he wasn't necessary in their offense for the style that they're running. So I don't really believe in Miles Saunders yet. I think he could be the guy moving forward, but he's not the guy now. So I'm not putting any money on that when it's just a hunch. So Josh Jacobs is the guy now, could be the guy in the future, but I will say Alabama is so unpredictable in sending out running backs to the NFL. But Josh Jacobs is my guy. That's my vote. Here we go. Right. Alabama's like Targaryens. One's good, one's bad. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and so Twitter agreed with you. 56% of people said Josh Jacobs. David Montgomery got a 31%. And both Miles Saunders and The Field got 6%. Well, I mean, people are smart. They agree with me. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a genius. All right. Next. So, so then I put out there that we needed some help. We needed some help to determine who the number two rookie wide receiver in Dynasty is behind and Keel Harry. These were the options. Marquise Hollywood Brown. Debo Samuel. A.J. Brown. Or the rest of the field, what would you pick? Well, it's not Marquise Brown. Because, one, I don't believe in just pure deep threat guys. And I don't believe in Lamar Jackson. Um, so read the, read the list off to me again. Uh, so Marquise Brown, Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, or other. Well, And so I pick them based off... That those were the first three wide receivers drafted out uh, behind Akeel Harry. Yes. Well, in well, technicality, Marquise Brown was selected yeah. before Akeel Harry, but that was a mistake. John Harbaugh doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, that's a tough question because Debo Samuel is going to the team with the better quarterback, in my opinion. Jimmy Garoppolo is uh, the better quarterback as opposed to Ryan Tannehill or Marcus Mariota. However, I've been high on A.J. Brown for a while, and I think he's going on to just the right team. So, personally, I would say A.J. Brown, if I were a fantasy owner, if I were an NFL GM, I'm taking A.J. Brown over Debo Samuel. Uh, I just think he has a better skill set. He had an excellent uh, 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 college career at Ole Miss. Um, so, A.J. Brown is my guy. I'm concerned that the Twitterverse, uh, whatever it's called, is going to disagree with me, but I'm right, you're wrong, so. Yeah, I had to open up another beer, because this is a good time. The Field got 9%, A.J. Brown, 18 Debo Samuel, 
18. Hollywood Brown got 55% of the vote. Whoever voted on this and voted for Hollywood Brown is the collectively dumbest group of people that have been on the planet. Maybe that's a bold statement. Maybe it's not. But what are you thinking? Hollywood Brown? All he does is run go routes. And you're going onto the team with the worst quarterback in terms of accuracy in the NFL. I would take over half of the backup quarterbacks in the league over Lamar Jackson's throwing capability. He ran last year 30 times in one game. There are several teams in the league that did not have a single running back with 30 touches in a game. And this quarterback had 30 rushing attempts. That should tell you of his incapability as a passer. Why are you throwing the ball down the field 40, 50, 60 yards to a player who, from a quarterback, can't make it that far and know where it's going? You people are crazy. Marquise Brown was a terrible decision. There was a rant for you. Well, yeah, that's why I had to open up the other beer. Whew. That felt good, getting that out. Ugh. Exercise the demons. Uh, all right, so next up, over the next five years, which rookie tight end will be the best dynasty fantasy player in PPR leagues? Options were TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, uh, Fant, Irv Smith Jr., or the rest of the field. Well, 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 well. Uh, this one's extremely easy. Uh, first of all, Irv Smith went to the Minnesota Vikings, and right now he's not even the number one guy on the depth chart. I will agree that Kyle Rudolph is a player who has been a trade candidate for uh, a couple of weeks potentially could be moving on i don't see it happening this year um but irv smith still is not a guy to me uh that i 100 percent believe in okay however any tight end from the college of iowa is interesting to me i sent you a text here shem a little while ago uh actually i think it was a week ago and it was explaining that uh, Scott Chandler, who made a name for himself, Tony Moiaki, who was a Pro Bowl tight end, George Kittle, another Pro Bowl tight end, TJ Hawkinson, and Noah Fant have all come from the same college. Iowa is very well known for putting out Excellent NFL players. If you look at a history of Iowa Hawkeyes college prospects that have made names for themselves in the NFL, it's basically well over 50% that individuals that get drafted from Iowa, they become very good football players. So obviously this is down from not the field, not Irv Smith. This is a competition between TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. Now, if I'm going to be totally honest on this, I'm a Broncos fan. There's my bias. However, even though, in a way, I do think TJ Hawkinson is the more complete tight end, he's going to the worst situation. Matthew Stafford has never been a quarterback 
that shows that he is capable of making those passes to a tight end over the middle. He loves the outside passes. He loves the deep threat, which totally extinguishes tight end capabilities. He's never been a guy that throw to Tony Scheffler. He's never been a guy to throw to Brandon Pettigrew. And he's never been a guy to Eric Ebron. Until he's proven that he can be that guy, I'm not trusting TJ Hawkinson, which obviously leaves Noah Fant as the number one option in Denver. Joe Flacco loves his tight end. Todd Heap made a name for himself. Dallas Clark finished his career there. Eric Dickerson, uh, not uh, Ed Dickerson, excuse me, uh, made an excellent name for himself in Baltimore because Joe Flacco likes his tight ends. Noah Fant is is the best tight end option from a fantasy perspective, from an NFL perspective, for all of the tight ends in this league, or not league, but you know of the rookies that are coming out. That's what I'm trying to say. And the Twitterverse agreed with you. Abs- of course, because I'm a genius. Yeah. 43% going to Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, and Irv Smith Jr. Interestingly, both get 29%. No one's taken the field. No one's a believer in Drew Sample. Well, I mean, I wouldn't either. I mean, it, why? <laughs> All right. So this one was far and away the most voted on one. Seahawk Nation came out to vote for this one. Great. How many sacks will Ziggy Ansah have with the Seahawks this year? Ooh, this is a good question. Yeah. See, that's why people came out and voted for it. Okay. 14 or greater, 10 to 13, 5 to 9, or 0 to 4? Uh, I'm going to say five to nine. I don't see him as a double digit sack guy at all. Um, he's not only had issues with consistency, but he's had strong issues with staying on the field. And last year was no different in his contract year with Detroit. So, um, I think he's capable of being a situational pass rusher and getting, I'm going to say I think Ziggy Ansah finishes with seven and a half sacks this year, maybe as high as nine, but it's it's definitely not a double-digit sack season. I don't think, in my opinion, Seattle does not have any player on this team that will have double-digit sacks. You can mark me down for that. Yeah. I don't see anybody on this team getting double-digit sacks, but that's not saying that this is not a good defense. I think just collectively they're going to make a bigger impact than having a single guy doing all the work for them. And the Twitterverse doesn't fully agree with you. What 44% said 10 to 13. Only twice during Ziggy Ansah's career has he had double digit sacks. 112, 114 and a half. Now, 41% of people did agree with you. 5 to 9. There were 7% of people out there that said that he would get over 14 sacks next year. Well, I mean, those people are crazy and yeah. clearly diehard Seahawks fans. And another 7% at 0 to 4. All right. The final two. All right. Bring it on. Doug Baldwin. Where does Doug Baldwin rank in the history of the Seahawk organization? Options. Top five Seahawk ever. Top ten Seahawk ever. Ring of Honor guy. 
but not top 10. Not, in the final option, is not a Ring of Honor guy. Doug Baldwin is a Ring of Honor player. <sighs> I, I don't see him as a top 10 player. And the reason is that even though I'm not a Seahawks fan, I can name of 10 players just right off the top of my head that I would say are are higher on this list. I mean, you're you're discounting like, I mean, Walter Jones, Sean Alexander, uh, Matt Hasselback. That that that's already three. All I got to do is think of seven more, and that's that's not going to be a very easy, uh, uh, difficult number to fill. So, is this guy a Ring of Honor player? Absolutely. He's made way too many plays. He's he's uh, been a stalwart leader on this team. He's brought them their only Super Bowl, so he has to be a Ring of Honor player. Um, but as far as a top 10, that's it, he's definitely not a top 5. That's ridiculous. Uh, but top 10 player, I, I wouldn't even go that far. Maybe top 20, top 25, but I'm going to go with that third category you said where it's you're just a Ring of Honor player. Uh, you're clearly, you know, in the Seahawk uh, Hall of Fame, maybe, but um, that that's as far as it goes. And so, 33% of Seahawk fans agreed with you. 17% of Seahawk fans said that he's a top 10 guy. 50% said that he's in the top 5 ever. That's because those are Seahawk fans that haven't been Seahawk fans for more than f- 10 years. They don't know what they're talking about. I, I mean, it, it, for example, are you ranking uh, Doug Baldwin ahead of Cam Chancellor? No. Are you ranking Doug Baldwin ahead of uh, Earl Thomas? No. Russell Wilson? No. Richard Sherman? No. Marshawn Lynch? No. Matt Hasselback? No. Walter Jones? No. Sean Alexander? No. Do I, need, do, I, do I need to I keep don't going? Know. Like, do I need to keep going here? Steve Largent, no. Dave Craig, no, absolutely not. This guy is not a top ten player. Let's be realistic about this and put him where he deserves. Is he worthy of respect? Absolutely. Is he going to go down in history with Seahawk lore? Of course he is. But let's put things into perspective. When you elevate someone too high that means you're discounting someone else that did something great for you did you forget that sean alexander held the record for the most touchdowns in a season from a running back are you kidding me are you forgetting that matt hasselback took you to your first super bowl season you're you're killing me here seahawk fans come on doug baldwin as a top 10 player you're moving top a lot. Five. Top five player. You're moving so many people down the board. I guess over 70% would have said top 10, at least, if you combine five and 10. This is, oh my goodness. Wow. Wow. Right. So, same question. Carry on. But with Cam Chancellor. Ooh. Oh. <sighs> All right. So, let's play the same game. Steve Largent. Um, I would probably put Cam Chancellor ahead of him. Mm, Walter Jones. Ooh. I, okay, Walter Jones didn't just put himself on the map. Walter Jones put left tackles yeah. on the map. That's a completely different statement. 
Um, I would say absolutely Cam Chancellor is a top 10 guy for Seattle Seahawks. I am reserved to say if he's a top five guy. I think that echelon is reserved for Sean Alexander, for Russell Wilson, probably Earl Thomas I would put ahead of Cam Chancellor. Um, I'm just going to play it safe here. Cam Chancellor is a top 10 guy. I'm not ready to say he's a top five guy. I mean, here's a guy who put in a, a lot of work. Uh, he was an exceptional hard hitter, but he was also a guy that was kind of a thorn in the side of management. I mean, he was constantly coming back with, I want more money. I'm going to hold out. Uh, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And let's not forget the fact that his career was derailed early because of injury. And that is something that I actually hold against the player because I'm not going to take away from somebody that played 15 seasons as opposed to somebody that got to play 10 seasons. Whoever got to play 15 seasons, they get more points in my regard because they were able to keep themselves healthy for the duration of their career. Um, uh, for example, the, the, the Seahawks had a player, uh, Max Strong, a long time ago. Fullback, an excellent football player. And in my opinion, one of the best fo- uh, fullbacks in the league for his time. However, his career was derailed early because of a neck injury. And that really hurt him in the sense of you know, going down in history for, for, for Seahawk greatness. I would put Cam Chancellor in that same category. He probably could have played three to four more seasons. He could be a Seahawk right now had his career not been derailed by by injuries. So that's my uh, take. Cam Chancellor is a top 10 player. If Doug Baldwin got in the top five, I imagine most people said that Cam Chancellor is going in the top five. So Now this one was pretty interesting. Break it to me. Because... Seahawk fans weren't sure where to put him. Interesting. It split perfectly between Ring of Honor, but not top 10, top 10, and top 5. Weird. There's a lot of indecision out there for you Seahawk fans. What is going on? (laughs) Yeah, and that's the complicated part about the Seahawks, is you always see... It's weird amongst current Seahawk fans where... You don't see a lot of Sean Alexander jerseys these days, and I think he's the best Seahawk. One of the best, at least. And so people are really focused on the here and now. Cam Chancellor hasn't played in a year. The year before that, he was, like you were saying, complaining about money, holding out, having difficulty within the team. And so I think that's where you see a lot of that difficulty where Doug Baldwin was a little bit more of that team-oriented guy. Yeah, I mean, Cam Chancellor, uh, I think there's a lot of people that may be jaded by him because of how he acted in a couple of scenarios. But in truth, that's how several Seahawk players have been. I mean, Earl Thomas held out last year. Uh, Michael Bennett was certainly a one guy that kept holding out his hand for more money, more money, more money. Um, and even, uh, Bobby Wagner actually a couple of weeks ago was saying that he sees that this season is his last with Seattle because he doesn't think that they're going to pay him enough to stick around, which they aren't able to because of Russell Wilson's contract. Uh, that's, uh, 
interesting take there. So, um, well, this has been a fun segment. I'm going to go ahead and put more polls out there. People feel free to vote on them. If we get some good ones, I'll bring it back and do this again. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us at third and manageable. I'm Shem Hanks, and just so everyone knows, Cam Chancellor and Doug Baldwin should not be Hall of Famers because Isaac Bruce and Steve Atwater haven't made it in yet. That I would agree with. Uh, from Third and Manageable, I am Brad Roberts. Still Shem Hanks. Very Still Shem Hanks. And uh, we will see you very next time, so uh, keep listening. See you. This has been a production of Values First. Welcome, welcome once again. This is April the the the. This is April. What? What is? This is May. This is May. This is May tenth of twenty nineteen. Why am a couple of days behind here? Let's just start that over. <laughs>